Hi, my name is David Elstein. This is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is assigned to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. On this episode, we'll talk to Dr. Mary Mulcahy, an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon in New Orleans and president of the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. Hi, Dr. Mulcahy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for this opportunity. I'm excited to be here. Great. So you're board certified by the ABUS, finishing up your first cycle of maintenance of certification. Why is board certification and MOC important to you? So I do think that being board certified is really important because it's a designation that actually signifies to our patients, to hospitals, to insurance companies, et cetera, that we are specialized, that we have a high level of training and education in musculoskeletal medicine. And that really sets us apart um, from our colleagues who do not have that designation. And also, I mean, time actually passes quite quickly. I can't believe that I'm nearing the end of my first cycle of this maintenance of certification. Um, so yeah, so time definitely does go by quickly, but we're always learning uh, and always a, a really good opportunity to keep up on our training and get ready for recertification. Great. So, you know, thinking of MOC, you know, some orthopedic surgeons think it's just busy worth or not worth it. Do you think that the work you put in to maintain your certification helps you as a surgeon and ultimately helps your patients? Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. Um, I mean, we are learning every single day. And so I think to take an active role in that is critical. It's really, it's not a burdensome process. In fact, these are things that we would be doing anyway. If we're, you know, we have a case coming up or something new we're learning about, we're reading articles from the literature. um, And so that helps us, that helps our patients. um, And we can help each other take good care of our patients. A lot of these things actually we're already doing too. Like we all have annual CME requirements um, for our institution to maintain our license. And then of course, in part for uh, ABOS. So it we're, these CME credits can actually count towards a lot of different things that we're doing. Um, and, you know, another part, of course, uh, for ABOS for, for initial certification and for recertification, which now I'm approaching, is uh, is preparing a case list. And that's really critical. Actually, it's a time for us to kind of reflect on what we've done, um, you know, some outcomes of the patients and, and areas where we actually may be able to make improvements. Additionally, you know, another key component of this is having an element of peer review. Uh, and that's helpful too, because we want our peers to kind of be weighing in on what is, you know, giving some input as to what they think of the quality of our practices and care that we're providing to patients. And again, we're always seeking uh, to improve and, and of course, to provide excellent care. Um, and then web-based longitudinal assessment Um I'll admit when it first started, and I think probably many people felt this way, we just didn't really know what it was about, what it was going to be like, what would be involved with it. And so the very first year, I actually didn't do it. I was eligible, um, but I didn't do it. And then I heard from many of my colleagues, like how great it was. Actually, they really enjoyed it. And it was, you know, reviewing whatever, 10 or 12 articles um, or maybe even 15 now. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. But bottom line is like reviewing a, a set of articles that you get to select and um, and so then the following year, which was actually when the pandemic started, so in 2020, um, the ABOS was very kind in uh, opening an opportunity to some surgeons who otherwise wouldn't have been able to do it. My sort of group included, like the the that sort of cohort who um, would have otherwise needed to start the year before, but they gave us another opportunity to start in 2020. And I welcomed that opportunity. I was grateful for that. And so I did the WLA that year for the first time and have done it since then. Uh, and I really enjoy it, actually. I mean, we 
um, you know, those of us participating in it, you get to select articles that you're interested in. You have the, you know, they're they're categorized based on um, subspecialty, and then there's some general articles, and then of course there's a couple that are required, um, and those are broadly applicable. And I think everybody really enjoys those. Um, so uh, I've appreciated the opportunity to do the WLA, and I think it's a great way to learn and to see some of the other articles that are published in the recent literature that we may not otherwise have read. Excellent. So in addition to being ABUS board certified, you hold the ABUS subspecialty certification in orthopedic sports medicine. You know, why did you decide to apply for the subspecialty certification? Yeah, I thought that that was really important too. And I, I didn't do it immediately following uh, taking part two of the boards in part because I, I wanted to have a year off of sort of collecting cases and whatnot, but I did this in, so I took my part two in 2015 and, and, um, did the subspecialty certification in 2017, uh, but it was something I knew, I always knew that I was going to do it. And I think that it's really important because it helps demonstrate expertise and proficiency in that specific area, right? In orthopedic sports medicine. And again, this is a way to help separate us and distinguish uh, this additional knowledge and training and expertise. And this is helpful for our patients, again, for hospitals, et cetera, telling that we have invested that extra effort um, to, to demonstrate the knowledge uh, and, and specialization in that area. Great. So, you know, at the top, I mentioned how you're president of the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. Can you explain uh, what that is and, and why it's important? Also, you know, what barriers have you faced as an orthopedic surgeon who is a woman? Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm really proud and hugely honored to be the current president of the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. The, my presidential year started in March 2022 and will go through March 2023. Uh, it's been amazing. A year is also flying by. Um, we're quite busy working on a lot of uh, different things. But RJOS is the society, it's one of the subspecialty societies and is focused on um, supporting and promoting women in orthopedics. Our membership is largely comprised of women, but not uh, entirely. And actually, there's been um, a pretty big increase in our male members over the past several years, um, largely program directors and department chairs, uh, but uh, many of our other male colleagues and allies demonstrating their commitment to supporting diversity in orthopedics and um, their female colleagues in particular. So that has been very nice. Um, and, you know, I think... Um, as women in orthopedics and, and minorities in ortho in general, like certainly there are, are some barriers that we face. And a lot of this is um, discussed quite frequently and, and uh, published in the literature, but there are many factors. It's not just one thing. You know, there are some things like, for example, early exposure and um, just having the opportunity to understand and learn about what is orthopedics and those type of opportunities um, are not always readily available. For example, like orthopedics is not um, a main component of medical school curriculum. And so you, you as a medical student really have to seek out those opportunities. And um, we know that male medical students tend to, to explore those things right away, or they go into medical school already with the interest, whereas female medical students tend, you know, are more often sort of making that decision a little bit later in medical school. So early exposure is important. Having female role models is really important for, for uh, women to consider a career in orthopedics. And we know like currently only six to 7% of practicing orthopedic surgeons are women. So it's hard, right? That six to 7% can't serve as role models for everyone. We're just, you know, there's not a female faculty member everywhere. And so this is really where our male colleagues and allies, um, 
uh, come into play, like very, very important for um, our male orthopedic colleagues to be willing and interested to support and mentor and promote um, women who are interested in orthopedics or women who are currently in orthopedics um, to help sort of, you know, increase the number of, of people who are available to help serve as role models and mentors. So those are just some of the some of the reasons that contribute to you know, a lower number of women in orthopedics, but I think we're, we're making great progress. Like there, you know, so about six to 7% of practicing surgeons are women, but somewhere around 16% of orthopedic residents are women. And, and as you look at the more junior classes um, with the interns, so first year residents, about 19% of interns are women. So we are definitely making progress and that's due to a huge amount of effort from a lot of orthopedic uh, organizations, including the Academy, RJOS, of course, but even many of the subspecialty societies and creating um, groups, committees, positions that are dedicated to improving diversity within orthopedics in general and within those subspecialties. Um, and talking openly about the importance of diversity in orthopedics at the meetings, at part of main sessions, uh, and lots and lots of research in this area too. So I think all of those things collectively are contributing to improving diversity in orthopedics. That's great. So happy to hear that. So what can the ABUS do, you know, how, how we work with uh, RJOS to further its mission? Great. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, the ABOS is doing so many great things. Um, but I think um, additionally, you know, the ABOS, when there are opportunities for, you know, there are leadership positions that are being considered, whether it's on the board or otherwise, or, um, you know, uh, these sort of creation of the subspecialty exams and thinking about potential faculty to come and participate in those, um, you know, thinking about women and diversifying the faculty that are invited, that is something um, that would be very helpful. You know, I think the ABOS is doing a good job, but just to continue to be intentional about that. Um, and also when we're looking at, you know, the ABOS exam, so the part two, the in-person exam, when you're having board examiners, um, seeking to, you know, maximize the diversity of faculty that are there, not only gender-based diversity, but racial, ethnic practice type, um, you know, exploring, exploring and improving all areas of diversity will be really helpful. So those are some things that the ABOS can continue to build on and help improve diversity in orthopedics in general. Well, thank you, Dr. Mulcahy, for your time. More information about MOC and subspecialty certification can be found at abos.org. To learn more about the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society, go to rjos.org. If you enjoy this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you know the next episode is posted.